Welcome to Rise to Liberty, and I've uh, got a very great friend of mine who's making his second appearance on the show. He's coming back, and uh, Adam, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Jacob. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, you know, just hanging out, uh, trying to stay out of the hot weather, but also still trying to get like enough vitamin D at the same time, you know? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I was so. out earlier today. It's a scorcher today. Yeah, just like it was yesterday. It's just hot, hot, yeah. hot. Yep. But uh, so we're getting you back on because you're running for public office. And uh, do you want to let everyone know what you're running for and why you decided to run? Sure. I'm running for uh, Utah Senate District 7. And uh, I'm running mostly to give people a choice. Uh, the, the incumbent that I'm running against, Stuart Adams, uh, ran four years ago. Uh, completely unopposed, both in both in both the primary and in the general election, and there's a lot of there's a lot of shady stuff, and there's a lot of insider baseball up on Capitol Hill in Salt Lake City. Uh, I want to give people a choice, uh, and that that is a that is a liberty choice, a choice that's based on individual liberties and individual rights. Um, someone's someone's going someone who's going to uh, prioritize what's going to be best for them rather than what's going to be best for a lot of corporate donors. Yeah, that makes sense. There, there really is a lot of, uh, insider baseball up on Capitol Hill here in, here in Utah. Anyone yeah. looking at the, uh, the title to the episode today, it was a, a libertarian run for Republican controlled Utah. And, uh, that that's pretty much what it's been is just Republican control um, over one state, we pretty much have a, a uh, I'm not even sure what you would call that. It's a one-party control here in the state, excluding Salt Lake County, which is very deep blue. And, uh, yeah, it's what, what I find interesting about most of everyone up on Capitol Hill is that most of them are all realtors oh, or yeah. lenders. Um, oh, yeah. I, I find it very interesting that almost one industry has had the stranglehold on local politics here in the state. And I, I think that does a lot of damage uh, to our political system here. No doubt. And the incumbent I'm running against is, he's definitely part of that, part of that uh, cadre, if you will. Um, they have, uh, they've had control for quite a long time, I mean, decades uh, before either of us were even legal adults. They've been, They've been kind of running the show. And I think uh, you look at the state of real estate in Utah and like the, the housing prices is how they just really exploded. And, you know, so, you know that's benefiting somebody. And it's definitely enough to your, your average home buyer. So, yeah. yeah. Even even right now, it you know, it's more of a buyer's market right now. Um, how even or how however, how even <laughs> however, um, 
even with that, the prices are still high. And of course, a lot of that has to do with federal interest rates, thanks to the Fed. Sure. Who oh, yeah. Printed trillions of dollars, about $10 trillion in a matter of two years. And yep. uh, didn't raise interest rates for a long time, kept them just at zero. And now right. raising them after we have such a slow job market, rising gas prices, food prices, everything else, and nobody else wants to work. It's the it's the it's 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 a perfect storm, I think. Um, I mean, you look at you look throughout history, and when has when have I don't think there's ever been a, a, a point whenever you know you know really steep inflation has not been followed by uh, a, a depression or recession. Um, and, and part of it is because the the Federal Reserve comes in and says, "Oh crap, what have we done?" Um, and tries to put the brakes on things and, and brings the economy to a halt. Now, that's not to say that interest rates shouldn't go up. That's to say it shouldn't be, interest rates shouldn't be dictated from a central authority like the Fed. Uh, they should be allowed to be on the market uh, amongst you know, many different lenders uh, and let them find their own natural level uh, of what, you know, because interest, interest rates are really just the cost of capital today. You talk about you know time and you know the the time preference. You know how much are you willing to pay to have that cash today versus you know ten years from now. That's the yeah. that's really what interest rates are. And to have that kind of set by by one, like I said, central authority, uh, that's that's a recipe for disaster. And it has been for over a century now. And we've seen how this how this plays out with a with a long history of, of booms and busts. Uh, we're just going through, we're going through the, this this next bust, and it, I think this is going to be a a pretty bad one. It's going to be pretty painful. Um, again, inflation has come home to roost, as you said. I mean, I, all the money that they printed, I think something like eighty percent of the dollars that are in existence were created out of thin air in the last two years. Yeah, that's going to have uh, drastic consequences. I don't think we're not through the woods yet. Um, I think it's going to continue to go up, and I think I think we're in for a lot of pain while, while this correction that has to happen uh, goes through. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really scary, honestly, because we are at a very interesting time period. Um, let's see, I was trying to bring something up real quick to bring uh, some sort of light into this for anyone who doesn't know. So this right here is the uh, M1 money supply um, from uh, FRED, Fred, uh, the, yep. the St. Louis Fed. And uh, if you look right here, November 2019, you know, that that little incline from 2010 to 2020 ain't that bad, but you go from there, you see that sharp spike. Oh yeah, I mean you can even see uh, back in 2007, 2008, whenever we had um, we had the big uh, you know TARP and the bailouts and and all yeah. that happened, and we had quantitative you know QE1, QE2, QE3, and and you can see that it's been going up steeply, but nothing, nothing like that wall, that just horizontal wall <laughs> or, or the vertical wall 
that we just yeah. hit. And I mean, whenever you have a whole lot more of something, the value of it goes down. Uh, yeah. You know, this, and you can all, you can almost like boil it down to supply and demand. If you have that many dollars, each dollar is going to be worth less in its purchasing power. And this, it's it's terrible because it really hits the people who can't afford it the most. I mean, those people who were before all this happened, who were already just barely making ends meet, those ends aren't being met now. And you talk about people <clears throat> who are on fixed incomes, uh, you know, retirees, people like that. Uh, yeah, they're they're in for a, a hard time. I mean, it was interesting. So Shaylee, my, my wife and I just went to the grocery store and a couple of years ago, we, we would be able to fill up a whole cart, about a hundred bucks, a little bit more, you know, maybe 150 bucks and it would be completely full to the top. Uh, we, yep. we just went uh, a couple days ago and spent a little over $120 and we got maybe it was less than a third of the cart was full. Yeah. And it's yeah. changed it's... that much that quickly. Oh yeah. And it's always in the, it's always in the, in the places where, you know, those essentials, you know, your gas, your energy, your, your groceries, the things you need to just survive. These are not, you know, it's not like Lexus prices or, or Tesla prices are going up. This is, <laughs> this is like, this is like the, the stuff that people need to survive. And that's why the people who are most vulnerable to it are going to be feeling the pinch the hardest. Yeah. It's, it's just been rough, honestly, and it's hitting all of us all over. Um, you know, God, God can only help us with what's going to happen, you know, and I'm, I'm not even much of a religious person. Uh, but at this point it, it does look like things are going to get real, real bad, real quickly. Um, right. And so, I mean, the, the good thing, I mean, I mean, you have to really want to see it. Um, yeah, the, the, the silver lining is that these types of these types of times are what generate um, changes. Uh, yeah, a lot of times changes do not happen until people get uncomfortable enough to say, hey, you know, this really isn't working out, we got to change the way that we're doing things. And, and that might be that might be part of what we're Part of what comes out of this that's that's at least what i'm going to be advocating for and, and i know what you and i and and, and the, the libertarian party and uh all that we're going to be fighting for is is you know what this what this looks like coming out of this and let's make sure that we that we diagnose correctly the problems that are leading to the problems you know the the, the things that led to the problems that we're experiencing today so that we don't repeat them yeah most definitely you know, I, I think the uh, the liberal world order, as it's now being referred to, um, as uh, I'm not even sure who that gentleman on the news was that ended up saying that, that we all have to sacrifice our gas prices and our food prices and everything for the liberal world order. I wish I had that pulled up because, man, that was a shocking video clip. Yeah. Um, however, I, I'm pretty sure their propaganda is breaking down. Um, is what it seems like. A lot of people are very unhappy. Um, we've we've just seen uh, Sri Lanka um, basically yeah. overthrow their government over there. Not that I'm advocating for that, YouTube. Not at all. Stay peaceful, no. everyone. <laughs> However, um, 
you know, there, you, you got the Dutch protesters who are uh, fed up, um, and you know, the the anyone who doesn't know the the uh, Danish, Finnish, I, I don't know, the Scandinavian government over there is uh, telling farmers that they are that they have to eliminate uh, uh, carbon their their carbon footprint and their ammonium footprint. Nitrogen, yeah. Yeah, nitrogen. That's right. Nitrogen, and yeah. uh, and so that basically kills all farming, right there. Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of people don't know it, but uh, uh, the Netherlands is the largest agricultural exporter. Um, next, I mean, next, next to the United States, they're the largest exporter of, of agriculture. And trying to comply with these these environmental regulations is really going to put a crimp on how much food they're able to. Uh, generate and in a time whenever we just talked about food prices are already skyrocketing and we're going to have a global food shortage uh, thanks to the Ukraine and Russia situation that does, that certainly doesn't help but you add on to these these government policies that are that are driven by um, you know environmental extremists this is the type of thing that's going to cause you know here in the United States this causes um, you know people you know Costs, you know, prices go up, and you know it's it's a it's a pain in the ass, and you have to you have to deal with it. But there are places in the world where this is going to mean hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people starve to death, yeah, and and die of malnutrition, you know, die of diseases because they're malnourished. Uh, this is a really huge humanitarian crisis that's brewing. And yeah, with, with Sri Lanka, I agree. I mean, going about it that way is not the right way to do it. Uh, but I think it shows that you can only push people so far. And whenever they start, you know, you, you talk about, um, what was that, the the, the pyramid of needs, um, what was it, uh, Maslow's pyramid of, mm-hmm. yeah, the yeah the pyramid of needs. And whenever that, that, uh, that base, you start eating away at that base and people can't find food and they can't find the things that they need to survive, things can get really ugly really quick. And that's, yeah. you know, I hate to say it, but I don't think it's going to be, limited to just Sri Lanka. I think we're going to see yeah. that in other parts of the world. I hope we don't see it here. We should not see it here because I don't think we're we're not close to suffering on that level. But I mean, governments really need to be t- paying attention and understand uh, they can only push these people so far. Exactly. So, you know, wh- one thing I, I think that and we'll, we'll switch gears here a little bit. Um, one, one thing I, or the reason why I think that um, a lot of this is collapsing is because of the analogy with the, the boiling frogs. And it seems as though um, these so-called elites, I don't, I, I honestly want to change the verbiage on that. I want to stop calling them elites because they're, they're not, they're just like everyone else. Sure. Um, and I, I don't want to place that. I don't want to put that out in the universe. You know, I don't want to put that energy out there to them anymore because they're not elites. They're just like everyone else. Um, however, these these people who make these decisions, they turned up the water too quickly, and we got too hot too quickly, and now we're all jumping out. And honestly, I am very thankful for that. That I, I think a lot more people are aware than ever before and i think a lot of that is uh at the school level and i know one thing that you're running on is school choice um oh, yeah. so let's i guess let's let's start at the, the the start of it 
for you, um, you and your wife homeschool. And do you want to kind of kind of explain that and what led you guys to that and kind of go through that process? Yeah, sure. Um, so we started homeschooling probably about seven or eight years ago. And so we've, we've, we've come a long way. Um, when we first started, uh, my oldest son was in, um, was in first grade uh, here at, at the public school. And uh, we were meeting with this teacher quite a bit. Uh, we had some concerns. A lot of his, you know, he was having a hard time like catching on reading. And it was something that it was just alien to me. I wasn't sure how to handle it because it was, you know, reading was something that like came very, very quickly and naturally to me. Um, and I, I was like really concerned. I went, okay, how's the best way that we can get him help and, and get him, you know, back on track to where he needs to be. And so we worked a lot with the, with the, with the counselor and the, and the, the principal there. And uh, they just, uh, they were really focused on his behavior. And because he was falling behind academically and because he couldn't, he wasn't uh, keeping up with the rest of the class, that was starting to have ramifications behavior-wise. He wasn't, he wasn't paying attention as much. And I was more than willing to work, my wife and I were more than willing to work with him. And we went in and said, look, we will work on the behavior stuff, but really we think the core problem is, you know, he's having, he's having difficulty, not only with, with reading, but also with math. And, and we'd like to get him you know, tested, see what's going on. Um, so he went through a, a number of tests and, and they, um, they, they came up with a program that they wanted for him. And they said, well, we're going to put him in, in special education. And I was like, well, uh, there's a certain stigma that goes along with that. It's, it's wrong and it shouldn't be there, but there is. Uh, what you know? What what are gonna, what are going to be the goals? I wanted to know what are going to be the goals for him to, re, you know, kind of rejoin and and and, uh, and be part of the normal curriculum again. You know, what do we need to do to, to catch him up? And they said, well, no. What this is this is all going to be about behavior. And okay. Um, well, I understand behavior is a problem, and we, we've been working on that. Um, but really, I'm worried about the academics. And uh, and they said, well, we'll work on the academics as well. But but we'd like him to, to join this this class of uh, it's basically how to make friends. Now, my my uh, my oldest son was quite outgoing. He's a teenager now, and he's kind of going through that that awkward teenager phase. But yeah. uh, whenever he was younger. I mean, he, we would show up at a at a uh, at a playground, and I would, you know, we just be kind of hanging out there, and he'd go off and do his own thing. I'd see him playing with these, you know, these kids, and I, and after it's over, I'd say, "Hey, who were those kids?" He was like, "Oh, I don't know." I was like, "Oh, you don't go to school with them?" No, I just spent the day. He didn't have a problem making friends. The kid made friends faster than I ever could, and. Uh, um, so I, I was convinced that's not really the problem. The, the, the root problem was, was the, the difficulties he, he was having, both in reading and in math. Uh, they just didn't want to hear it. And they eventually said, um, I, there was a key phrase, and I don't remember how it came about, but eventually the vice principal, not the vice principal, the principal told me, um, our number one goal is compliance. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. 
said, you, you mean your number one goal isn't education? You're a school. And she's like, well, yes, but we have to have compliance in order uh, to properly educate. And we I, have to feed it into them. I was, yeah, and I was like, okay, well, that's, <laughs> that's, basically, that's basically the end of the story between my kids and public school from now on. Uh, so we got, I remember my wife and I got in the car and said, okay, we're homeschooling. Um, she was, she was, she was not quite ready for it. I mean, a lot of the onus was going to fall, was going to fall on her. Um, but, uh, she really stepped up. Um, it's, it's, it's super intimidating. It is super intimidating. And, um, it's something, it's something that's not for everybody. I get it. Um, but it has been the best decision that we've ever made for our kids. Uh, my son is, is ahead now. My oldest son is now ahead in math. He's ahead of where I was when I was in math, when I, you know, my, my uh, school career, when I was uh, going into high school, he's ahead of where I was. Um, he is reading on grade level, um, beyond grade level now. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's all worked out. I mean, we put the focus where it needed to be. Um, and we were able to tailor for all three of my sons. We're able to tailor the curriculum that best met their gifts and their challenges, and and it's just it's worked out really really well uh, for all of us. Yeah, that's that's really great. Um, so it's it's really interesting. I know I had a terrible experience in public school. Um, I know several of my friends all had terrible times and most most everyone graduated um that that wasn't necessarily the issue some didn't some mm -hmm. were very close but you know it's the gambit across all all directions however it was just the experience um most people aren't actually educated in in the school um you can typically see things like um, Jay Leno used to do this. He would do uh, the man on the street interviews and would ask people simple questions. Uh, there's tons of commentators that do that now. Uh, we actually look on look forward to doing that in the future. Um, but you would ask just simple questions, geography questions, not not even math questions, just right. simple questions. Most people can't answer them. And it's like, you graduated though. Like, sure. none of this makes sense. And I think you being told that it's about obedience more is very telling of the education system. So with, with school choice, what really is the platform? Because I know a lot of people here, you know, the libertarian or just the non-traditional way of schooling and they get freaked out because of you know the public school like it's going to cost so much and all of so really what does the the platform itself entail well i think the platform is really about allowing parents and students to find the edu the, the educational environment that's going to fit best for them um as i mentioned i have i have three sons uh, a lot of people say they are spitting images of each other but i can tell you the way that we approach each of their education is, is quite different. Uh, they have different interests, they have different strengths, uh, they have different areas where they need help. And we have been blessed in that we've been able to afford to homeschool. It is, it is a financial 
Uh, it is a financial sacrifice you have to be, you know, you have to make. Uh, we have found programs that help with that, obviously. Um, but homeschool isn't for everyone, and and I I, I really concede that. Um, but I do think that school choice, because homeschool is really just kind of a, it's kind of a, it, it's part of the of the educational um, buffet, if you will, that's available that should be available for parents. And that is, you know, really just going through and, and finding out what your kids need uh, and, and how they're going to best learn because every kid's different and having the the tax money that is that is collected from people to, to go towards education, having it follow the student rather than following uh, rather than going automatically to a school based on based on geography. Uh, so in other words, you know, you're funding you're funding students education rather than funding an institution. Yeah. What this does is it, it, it creates a, it creates competition. It creates a market and in competition, different providers have to compete and they have to compete on multiple levels. They have to compete to have the best outcomes for the kids that, they, that are in their school so that they can attract customers, but they also have to attract talent. That is the teachers. That puts teachers in the driver's seat when it comes to things like salary negotiations and and benefits and things like that. Uh, so, you know, whereas you know, right now there is one consumer, there is one buyer of of teacher talent, and that is the state. In school choice, there would be dozens. Yeah, and they would each have to bid up in order to get the best, most talented teachers. They would have to bid up those you know, the, the, the compensation that they're offering. So this would be a, it would be a win for teachers. It would be a win for students. It would not be a win for professional, like permanent school administrators. Uh, that's where, that's where most of the school dollars, when you see how much money, you know, Utah or the United States or any other state spends per student, most of that money is going into the administration building, not into the classroom. That's the exact opposite of what we need. And the incentives yeah. would align. If you introduce some competition, the incentives would naturally be, we need to sink more money into the classroom because that is how we differentiate ourselves from our competition and we can attract more customers. Yeah, it, I, I think it's interesting that the lie that we've been told, um, and I mean, as, as a student, I heard this as well, was you know the the property taxes and everything that's for the schools and that's a lie it's for the student period right. if the school yep. wants money it should have a right to be able to fundraise or do whatever it needs to and i i mean there's a way to be able to fund that this is so incredibly important you can't tell me that people wouldn't willingly give for something as important as this Sure. Um, and it would be nice to be able to have more of our money, you know, uh, getting getting rid of some un unnecessary expenditures or failed uh, government programs to be able to come in and actually take that money, make the choice with it and be able to, you know, give it to the school because you believe so highly in whatever you choose for your children. Right. Um, and I, you know, the, the, we were actually talking about this yesterday is that this seems to be the 
civil rights issue of our time period. Um, there was a lot of terrible things that happen in public schools. I have heard horror stories all across the country of just the experience. Um, I was reading something that this was a few weeks ago, but it was, uh, on average, there's about 10,000 children, um, sexually abused in public schools each year in the United States. So that works out to be, you know, roughly a hundred, a little over a hundred kids per state per year. That is insane. It is. It is. And, and, and people, whenever you talk about like allowing, you know, particularly homeschool uh, is where they'll really, they'll, they'll focus in on, they're like, oh no, one of the functions of, of, of public school is that it, it gets children out of the house. So if they're in abusive homes, it gives them another place that they can go where people can notice, oh, you know, little Tommy's showing up and he has a black eye again. What's going on in his home? And that can be a way to, to kind of uh, identify where abuse is happening. The fact is that abuse happens in public schools as well. Yeah. Um, I, 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 their abusive parents uh, exist. Uh, abusive and neglectful parents exist. That is, that is absolutely true. Um, I won't hide from that. But the fact is, is that abusive teachers exist. At these, uh, you know, abusive staff at, at public schools exist. And in fact, a lot of abusive people, a lot of predators are attracted to those types of positions where they will have the opportunity to prey upon kids. And, and again, that, that, that's something that if you introduce the right incentives into the market and say, you gotta compete uh, there's more incentives for each institution, each educational institution to better vet uh, their people and to really dig in deep and have have very clear uh, controls and policies uh, to prevent those types of things from happening. Yeah, I agree. So for anyone who doesn't know, um, I had actually pulled up a list of five different types of or the, the five most popular types of school choice programs that people advocate for. Um, and they are, are as follows, is the education savings accounts, school vouchers, tax credit ESAs, or education savings accounts, uh, tax credit scholarships, and individual tax credits and deductions. The whole goal behind basically all of these is just that the money will follow the student. Would you agree sure. with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, they're all, I think they're all better than what we have now. I think some are probably better than others. Uh, but I think allowing uh, parents and, 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 and students to, you know, avail themselves of these different options and figure out what works best. And I don't think it should be a central thing. I don't think it should be something that's decided at the federal level. Let every state do it. Allow us to have 50 different laboratories where we figure out what works best. And, yeah. you know, but the best idea will win out and then other states will start to emulate uh, those same policies and, and hopefully the same results. So Arizona right now um, actually is the leader in school, yeah, school choice. Huge. So they just signed a bill uh, into law where the money actually follows the student now, which is yeah. the craziest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> You know, all, all of our money actually going to educate a student. Wow. Right. Yeah, it's, it's mind blowing, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. So I, I think Utah um, 
should really focus on what Arizona is doing as far as that to see how it works. And we need to be implementing something like that up here, which is what would most likely happen with a candidate like you winning office. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I think we need any, I think we need some, some turnover at the, uh, at the governor position as well. Um, but the fact is that when governor Cox came out and basically stabbed Utah parents in the back by basically saying he, he was going to, uh, he was going to veto, uh, the, the, a, 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 a school choice bill that had something on the order of like 75, 80% approval among Utah parents. Um, nobody in the, in the legislature fought him on it. Um, I mean, honestly, what, what should have happened is that the legislature, legislature, as the duly appointed representatives of the people, should have passed it anyway, and then over overridden his vote. Um, yeah. But I think what happened is you had a lot of, oh, I hate, I hate the term rhino, but you had a lot of Republicans who did not truly believe in school choice. The governor was, was giving them cover to back out, and they took it. And that's not the type of leadership we need in Utah. Uh, we need people who are going to stand up for our kids, who are going to stand up for our parents and represent the clearly expressed will of their constituency. That is what our, you know, our Republican, uh, you know, small R Republican uh, government system is all about. Yeah. And that's what confuses me uh, about any Republican who is now watching this in the future or right now. Um, I don't I don't see too many of my fans being hardcore Republicans, but you never sure. know. Um, there's there's a lot of I, I hear Republicans complaining more about the Republican Party now more than I think I ever have. And I understand a, a, a lot of Republicans are definitely worried about the other team getting in and wielding that power against them. Um, but you're still voting for people who are not representing you. So all you're doing is shooting yourself in the foot. Right. That's it. So right. I, I don't see the benefit of uh, any of these people actually voting just because they say they're Republican like Governor Cox, who has turned out to do very little from what uh, the Republican Party supposedly supports. Right, right. And, and you know, we kind of we kind of mentioned this in our talk yesterday, too, is that the term rhino, I mentioned I hate it. And one, one of the reasons I hate it is that it's it's uh, is that what does it even mean these days? I think I think people like uh, like Rand Paul or or mass or Cong Congressman Massey, for example, I think those guys are, those guys are really the rhinos now because they don't, they're the outsiders inside their own party. And the Republican party is run by these, you know, these, these Stuart Adams, uh, uh, Cox type of guys, um, you know, O'Connell, you know, all the, or McConnell, all the, all these, uh, all these, uh, uh, what we used to call rhinos, they're in control of the, of the party now, and mm -hmm. I don't see them relinquishing it at all. They're, they're very happy to be the the middle of the road party. Um, yeah. They're not going to fight for um, anything in, in terms of 
of foundational principles. They don't have foundational principles. They are just a reactionary party. And what they're reacting against as far as like the the far left agenda, sure, um, I, I can get on board with reacting against it. But whenever you're not doing it from a principled point of view, you don't have those foundational principles, it's just not going to be reliable. And that's what we've seen with the Republican Party here in Utah. Yeah, and I, I think across the country as well. Sure, yeah. You know, it's it's just really interesting watching a lot of these people say that they care about these things and then they end up voting for somebody who doesn't support that. I don't right. I don't get it. Right. Um anyone watching this, uh the Libertarian Party uh aligns a lot more with what I hear people talking about. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And that's from both sides of the aisle too. Right. So right. I I think what I think what you'll find with libertarians is that we're, you know, we're better than the right than the things that the right are good on. And we're better than the left than the things that the left are good on. I mean, you want to talk about anti-war? We are more anti-war than any possible, than any Democrat that, that's out there these days, any mainstream Democrat anyway. Um, you want to talk about uh, school choice? We're more school choice than, than either, of the, you know, either of the sides. Um, you know, you want to talk about Second Amendment? Uh, we don't want to just stop uh, you know, further gun control legislation. We want to roll back gun control legislation that's been in place for years, for decades. Uh, we want to restore uh, your gun rights. Uh, and, and it's that way across the board. You want to talk about um, criminal justice reform? I don't think you'll find a libertarian, you know, a single libertarian who is who is less dedicated to that than any any you know mainstream Democrat that you can find. And so I yeah, think seriously, the change no knock that, warrants, uh, civil yeah. asset forfeiture, qualified exactly. immunity, they yeah. all need to be abolished. Right. Right. And even down to, as we were talking about as well, is, is even at the legislative level, just let's yeah. start repealing laws that put people in jail for things that are, are that don't hurt anybody or, or only hurt themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I truly believe that the, the only laws there really need to be are uh, against only criminal laws are going to be our violence against violence and against uh, property crimes like theft or destruction of property um, or even fraud, that yeah. kind of stuff. Other than that, is there anything else that, that people should be punished by the state for? And I have a hard time coming up with anything. I don't know. I mean, I I just did an episode not of, of another live stream not too long ago about a hate speech. And there's still people out there that believe in that, you know, the, yeah. these people who believe that just because I upset you, that means I should be in legal and uh, judicial hell, basically. I yeah. should be possibly taken away from my family and my loved ones, all my friends, just because I said something that you don't like. Right. Even though Thurgood Marshall, our first black Supreme Court justice read a history book people um actually defended the rights of a very stone-cold racist person uh named clive or I, I, clarence brandenburg and it, it was brandenburg v ohio which is where mm. they set the precedent of what incitement is um, right 
for anyone who doesn't read. It's also, uh, it has to include a direct uh, crime that will happen immediately and that you were right. calling for that. Um, so guess what? That whole, uh, you can't say fire in a crowded theater. Actually, yeah, you can. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, because you're not, you're not, you're not calling, you're not like saying like, hey, everybody, let's all storm out of the theater and trample each other and kill each other. You're not calling for that. You're just saying fire. Now that's, that's incorrect. And, and, and we can talk about like, there's, there's differences between what should be legal and what is moral yeah. and what is wise. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the yelling fire in a theater that is often uh, miscited. Uh, that, that is actually um, cited as, as an example of what you can do. That, that is free speech. It is that, that would not be popular. That is, that is a, uh, you know, you could say it's a bad thing to do. You shouldn't mm -hmm. do it, but it should be legally protected. You can yeah. do that. Yeah, just like uh, with ignorant, bigoted people. Um, I, I have every right to make fun of those people. And I also want to know who those people are. Yeah. And sure. so they should have every right to speak their bigoted hate speech. Um, against whatever group they want to speak it about, and then I can point and make fun of them and chastise them for having such an outdated belief system. Right. There are natural consequences in a moral society, and you know how, how moral our society is. I guess you can you can decide that for yourself. But I do think that in this day and age, um, there is no doubt that people who espouse uh, racist views they're not going to be very popular and you know if if we are outing those people and showing you know showing everyone hey this is what this this is what this person says this is what this person believes uh there are natural consequences and they're not they're not advantageous to that person at all i mean there's i mean even back in the day of the ku klux klan there's a reason why they wore hoods over their heads yeah it's not because they were proud of what they were doing or thought that <laughs> it was by any means going to make them popular no yeah. They had to hide who they were. Yeah, like, even they, amongst they, other racists. <laughs> even amongst other racists, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the uh, other issues that you are running on uh, for for your campaign? Um, well, I think uh, one, one of my big things is um, the DABS, and that's the Department of Alcoholic Beverage Service. Uh, it used to be DABC. Um, they call it, they, they, they did me a favor and renamed it the DABS. So I can say, yeah, yes, <laughs> right. the exact right term. Mm -hmm. And essentially what this is, is the, uh, it's the government, the state government of Utah that runs a monopoly liquor retail service. Uh, so there are no liquor stores in Utah other than the ones that are state owned and operated. Uh, this is a, you know, it's, it's, it's a monopoly and everyone, I mean, even in even in public schools, we're taught how bad monopolies are for uh, for for consumers, and that is nowhere more the case than whenever it's a government-operated monopoly. Um, it leads to less choice. It leads to higher prices. Um, it leads to you know for for people who who have a religious or moral objection to the to the to the sale or consumption of alcohol it forces them just by the fact of them being a taxpayer, it forces them to participate in the sale of alcohol. They're, they're complicit in it now. 
Um, I think no. Let's let's let the, the free market reign, and let's uh, let's let's get the government out of that business once and for all. Other things are going to be like taxes. Um, I think the, I, I come from I originally come from Texas where we had no state income tax, and when I got here, I was like, "What the hell is this? You're, you're taking more <laughs> of my money." Um, and so, yeah, I, I think we need to um, we need to get rid of that or lower it as much as you know as much as we possibly can, uh, preferably just get rid of it. Um, yeah, I think I think I think those are are some of the things. I mean, I think. Um, I don't have a great answer for it, but as far as like what's happening with the with the Great Salt Lake, um, I think we see um, years of, of of mismanagement of water rights uh, that's kind of uh, turning its turning its head um, on us. Uh, but I think I think yeah, school choice is is really uh, my big one. Um, I'm also a big proponent of defend the guard legislation, which yes. would which would require uh, the governor uh, to not deploy uh, the national, the, the Utah National Guard uh, to a war zone unless a an official declaration of war had been passed by Congress. Uh, this this uh, puts the power of making of, of declaring war back into the legislature's hand, which is where it constitutionally belongs. Uh, that hasn't happened since World War II, um, and that I mean, a lot of people would would argue that was probably the last war that we sh should have been in, if we should have even been in that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's those are those are some of the big things. Uh, criminal justice reform is really big for me. I, I uh, graduated with a uh, with a bachelor's in criminal justice. Uh, that's where a lot of my um, background and training. Uh, is and I, I, I've seen a lot of the abuses firsthand uh, from top to bottom, all the way from legislation uh, through law enforcement, through corrections. Um, I mean, we need a lot of we need a lot of work. We we have we have fallen um, from where we should be in terms of providing actual justice, not only for not only for the accused, but also many times for the victims of crimes. Uh, what what they're getting. In our court system today is not justice it yeah. is it, it's fodder basically fed up to a criminal justice uh machine uh that 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 is not based on 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 what's best for us or or protecting civil society yeah i i i love how uh it's a it's a lot of um what is it? Uh, rehabilitation with with the criminal um, with, or with the penal system, and uh, no smirks anybody saying penal system. It's not funny, <laughs> um, but they really just create more criminals or better criminals. Right. I don't understand how this benefits society at all because obviously there's some people out there that do bad things that probably should not be a part of society. I get yeah. that. Yeah. And we, we have to come up with some solution to make sure that these people are taken care of, you know, get, get them out of society because they have chosen to not be a part of the peaceful, 
uh, ever-growing, improving society. I get that. Right. Um, I, I think that's that's one thing we we both know that libertarians get a lot. It's like, oh, you just want drug addicts everywhere. You just want criminals running around with fully automatic weapons. And right. Those people exist no matter what. Yeah, yeah. The, the fact is, there there's a there's a small, very small uh, percentage of the population that is truly just irredeemably evil, and yeah. any society, whether it be you know Ancapistan or or you know uh, you know the, the progressive utopia, they're going to have to deal with those people. Uh, we're we're going to have to we're going to have to deal with those people. Um, the fact, <clears throat> but the thing is, is that are we going to, you know, I, I, I perfectly agree with you. You know, when, when you have people who commit violent crimes uh, against other people, I'm like, yeah, let's, let's, you know, if, if we need to put them in a cage or put them, you know, somewhere where they're isolated away from the rest of society, let's do it. Let's do it. When you talk about people who commit property crimes, that's where I kind of say, well, um, I know I've seen lots of times where, victims of property crimes, people who got, you know, money stolen from them or, or their their property got uh, was destroyed or damaged. Um, they don't necessarily want the person going to prison. I mean, that in, in a in a kind of like, a, they wronged me and I want them to suffer. Sometimes they do. But a lot of times those people are like, I want my money back. I want I want I want to be made whole. Well, you don't get made whole. Uh, when somebody's in prison, they, they're not making any money. They can't repay you while they're sitting in a prison cell. Yeah. Now they make the government money, and if it's a private prison, they make the they make the that that private prison company money, but they're not making any money that goes back towards the original victim of their crime. Yeah. And I think a much better thing to do was would be to have them, you know, it it becomes a debt, and if we have, you know, if if, if Wages have to be garnished to, to, to repay that debt. That's you know that the, those those are things that we can we can work out. But I think the first and foremost, what needs to happen is those victims need to be made whole. And yeah. uh, I don't think prison is going to be the quickest or best way to make that happen. And then as far as like any crimes where there are no uh, there are no victims, they shouldn't be crimes. We should just repeal those laws and then let anybody who was who was sitting in prison only because they committed those things, those people need to be set free. Yeah. I mean, those are social issues at that point. Those, right. those aren't criminal issues. They're, they're not political issues. They're social issues. And right. society itself has to deal with it. Um, making the police deal with it is just a scapegoat. You're just sweeping it under the rug. Right. And they, they don't go away. It's, it's like the whole drug issue. Obviously, we don't want people out there using drugs. Uh, well, most people don't. You know, most yeah. people feel that it's an immoral thing to do, that it doesn't lead to a better life. And, you know, I, I'll hear arguments from libertarians. It's like, what about the weed? And it's like, calm down. I'm not talking about you. If that's what you choose to do, whatever. But right. just don't bring it around kids and don't force right. anyone else to do it. And right. Whatever. Keep doing what what you do it's all about you boo just keep it going yeah yeah um yeah i mean yeah it's it's a social issue yeah you were mentioning earlier like you know people think that we want just want drug addicts everywhere no absolutely not i i um 
I don't, I don't abuse drugs. I, I certainly am instructing my, my children uh, not to abuse drugs and what the, what the risks are of doing those types of things. Um, I've seen, uh, I've had family members and friends who have had their lives in many cases ended because of uh, abuse of drugs. I don't want that. Um, I just don't think that throwing people into a cage with murderers and rapists in any way helps anything. Yeah. Uh, it does not help the person who is addicted to drugs or abusing drugs. It does not help uh, the family of those people. You're, you're ripping, you're ripping families apart by doing this. You're creating um, broken homes. It doesn't help. It doesn't help anybody. It only destroys. And yeah. that's what I'm, that's what I'm against. Um, and honestly, it doesn't help our doesn't help our budget either. The amount of money that we spend on uh, the war on drugs is just astronomical. And for a fraction of that, uh, we could provide um, rehabilitation. And honestly, I think in a lot of cases, whenever we have people who are abusing or becoming addicted, there are underlying issues um, that need to be treated. It, 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 it's, it's a mental there, there's there's a mental health crisis that's going on, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of times what's happening is they're self-medicating. Yeah, and, depression, anxiety are yeah. two of the biggest issues that go either undiagnosed or untreated in this country. Right. And it affects everyone. It doesn't matter your age, your your sex, uh, the color of your skin, you know, the, the amount of melanin in your skin, it doesn't matter. It right. affects everybody. It doesn't matter where you're born, nothing. If you're yeah. alive, you run the risk of being affected by depression and or anxiety and yeah it's feels a lot better when you don't have to deal with it for a few hours instead sure. of uh attempting to go through all of this red tape to try and get mental health help which is right. ungodly difficult in this country yeah. and then the help that you do get is subpar mm -hmm. you know if it's just not downright bad yeah and so of course we've got a bunch of people that use drugs makes sense right. Right. Yeah. And, and like I said, for, for a fraction of what we're spending to throw these people into cages with murderers and rapists, we could be trying to treat the problem at the source. And I mean, we, we've got a lot of, we got a lot of veterans who've been in, you know, in combat and, you know, they're suffering from PTSD and they are, um, a lot of them are self-medicating. Uh, yeah. We have other people, and it's it, like you said, it's not limited to just to just veterans. It's it's you know everybody um, can be affected, uh, and probably will be at, at one point or another be affected by depression and, and anxiety. Um, yeah. I have family members as well. Um, I I've, I've had bouts of depression. It, it happens. Yeah, me too. And so you you know, and it's it's uh, and yeah, and and it's one of those things where. Uh, I, I'm able to recognize whenever I'm having depression and that's whenever I like really say, you know what, a beer sounds really good, but I just don't think I'm going to go there today. I think I'm just yeah. going to, I think I'm going to take it easy for a while until I'm starting to feel better. And, but that's, you know, that kind of thing is, 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 uh, is not easy. And it would be, it sure would be easier. It sure would be easier just to, to down a few beers and kind of, you know, drown it out. Um, but, you know, that's not the right thing for me. And, and, and I think 
if we could get in a situation where we're treating those types of things up front and actually attacking the root problem, I think we'll be a much healthier society for it. Yeah. Well, and it kind of cycles back into uh, the criminal justice reform as well, because that kind of allows us to steal the black market back from the criminals who have right. gotten, who have become more and more militaristic over the decades, which has led the police to be more and more militarized as well. Um, right. Led to a whole lot of no-knock warrants, which ends bad for everybody. Yep. In almost any situation, it's like, oh, well, we came in, shot your dog, shot your husband, and we realize it's the wrong address. Yeah. And we're also not going to get in trouble for it, and uh, you're screwed, and we're not going to help pay for the funeral. Don't call us again. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? Like, it, it's really ugly, and you don't have to go that far to find a story like that. You know, no. it, it, as I say this, somebody has, or almost anyone watching this or listening to this has a story in their head already. Oh, sure. You know? Or uh, know somebody personally that's gone through something similar. Um, yeah. And we're, we're putting these people who already have a high burden of protecting society in many ways from some of society's worst people, and they see the worst things every day, and they, they already have this huge weight on their shoulders for a job. Yep. And now we're asking them to go after people who are sick. Yeah. That's that's incredibly immoral. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I can't believe we're doing that to them. I can't believe we're doing it to the victims of this. This is not the way of a healthy moral society, and there's got to be a better way doing it. Uh, we we just passed, um, I think it was 65 years or something just recently with the war on drugs, 66 years, I think. Yeah, that um, sounds right. And, you know, thanks to Nixon, um, Republican president, by the way, mm -hmm. um, who has destroyed more families than almost any other policy uh, in our lifetimes. And uh, I, I think it's about time we got rid of that and started focusing on better ways to be able to take care of this in society. Yeah, I mean, you. I, I often make the comparison of, of prohibition in the, in the 1920s. And you look at what, what, were the, what were the goals of prohibition and what would have been the goals of of, of drug prohibition. Well, um, you know, the, the goals were to have less people abusing alcohol or drugs, depending on which one policy you're talking about. The goal was to um, not have them be as dangerous, not have either drugs or alcohol be as dangerous, not have, um, and, and to, and basically to deny criminals a, uh, a revenue source. On all of those, all of those goals, have just been utter disasters, failures. Uh, it's drug cartels are more powerful now than they ever before, uh, and because they have the market cornered on something that that is in demand. Um, and the same thing happened back in prohibition. I mean, the reason why the mafia became as powerful as it was is because they had the market cornered. On a banned product that people that there was still demand for yeah um as far as like drugs and alcohol not being as powerful 
we saw this happen in prohibition where beer eventually led, led you know led, led to whiskey which then led to moonshine they wanted more and more potent um, alcohol that could be transported easier because it was illegal and you had to you had to be able to transport enough of it in a way that was concealable and what we see with drugs has, has followed a very similar uh, path where uh, the drugs that that people are abusing are getting more and more potent and more and more dangerous um, now we have fentanyl when we started off with heroin <laughs> right right exactly and so as 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 the as the government you know clamps down on each of these what happens is that the, the potency and the danger of the products that are being abused just go up and the fatalities and the, and the, and the casualties of that by itself it has to be, that, that has to be figured into the cost of the war on drugs um it's you know if you look at all these different all these different places i mean you know uh whenever you have a black market the only the only way if you know if we're rival drug dealers and you steal a a shipment of my cocaine for example um i can't go to the i can't go to the police and say hey jacob stole from me they'll just put me in jail for being a, a drug <laughs> yeah uh, so the only the only recourse i have is violence is to go and try to kill as much of your gang before your gang kills mine yeah. and it's that kind of cycle of violence that I mean, we're, we're, you know, by deciding no, we're not gonna we're not gonna allow certain plants to be ingested or even possessed by people. Um, that's the trade-off: is is we're gonna we're gonna empower criminal organizations, we're gonna incentivize them to use the politics of violence uh, to settle uh, grievances between each other. Uh, we're going to settle. We're going to uh, accept that we're that you know our kids and our and, and people who who get involved with drugs are going to be ingesting more and more powerful drugs. I mean, these are all the trade-offs that we're making, and yeah. what have we gotten out of it? And as we know, criminals follow laws so well. Right. You know, right. And all of all of these uh, these gangbangers are definitely going to turn their guns in once more gun legislation is a- sure. enacted. Uh, you know, because. <laughs> because they do that so well all the time. Right, right. I mean, you know, a, a person who has decided, I'm going to go kill somebody. I'm going to break the law, like the like probably the most foundational law that there is, like the, the easy, like, you know, even in Encapistan, there would be, there would be laws against murder. Yeah. Um, but someone who has chosen to break that law is going to suddenly say, oh, oh, wait, well, I can't carry a gun in this place, so... I guess I'll have to figure out something else to do. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I think we're going to start wrapping up here. Uh, but one thing I did want to end on, uh, just for anyone watching that's made it to this point, thank you very much. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been wonderful. But one thing I, I want to bring up, uh, we're, we're actually both running for office. I'm running for a state, state house here in the state of Utah for District 9. And one thing I've been trying to push as well, and I, I think it would be great for all politicians, regardless of parties, is uh, sunset clauses. Hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of issues, and I, I think this is very practical. I believe it to be nonpartisan. Um, there's, there's two things with each. Um, 
with each bill or program that's been passed and it's either reached its point, it's fulfilled its purpose, at which point it needs to be disbanded and done away with, or it hasn't reached its purpose and therefore is failing and costing us money and needs to be ended. So that's that's yeah. something that I, I think is uh, very doable within our state, within our country, our counties, um, that, that should really be looked at and uh, promoted by a lot of people. Um, so, so how do you feel about the, the sunset clauses? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm all on board for that. I, I totally agree that uh, we have so much legislation out there that, I mean, has not achieved its purpose, has not achieved its goal. We just talked about like the war on drugs, uh, but there's so many other examples as well, where just the, the intent hasn't been met and the goals have not been met. Uh, and so, yeah, there, there comes a point where you need to you'd either cut bait and, or, or realize, yeah, we've already caught the fish, you know, to, yep. to complete the analogy where, um, yeah. And I would even say, <laughs> I would even go a step further. I mean, this might not be your position, but I, I would say that a constitutional convention every 24 years is probably what we should be doing. Um, I did not sign on to the constitution. Nobody I voted for was at the constitutional convention. Um, so maybe what we need to do is every, again, once a generation go, you know, have a constitutional convention where we go in and we figure out, is this still the same compact that we want to have? And yeah. states can decide, nah, you know, I, I really don't want to be part of this anymore. Or yeah. maybe, maybe these five states decide, you know, we're going to make our own thing. And another, you know, six states say, you know what, we'll do our own thing. Um, just because our values have changed so much um, that, that there comes a point at which we have to say, yep. is the Constitution, is the Constitution itself one of those pieces of, it's not legislation, but it's one of those documents that is it really serving the purpose that it was intended to? Yeah, um, a so peaceful I, I think, national divorce. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Peaceful. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's 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 even something I would go along with. But I think definitely, as far as like legislation goes, yeah, it needs to be sunsetted. There needs to be a a clause in every law that's passed that says, um, on this date, no more than you know five six years from the date of passage. You know, if these, I think another thing we could do is is say, you know, every law. This would be hard to 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 put into words and make happen, but there needs to be like metrics, like how are we going to know if we're successful? Let's define yeah. success and say, once we have met these metrics, this will be, you know, this law will be uh, repealed. Or if we fail to meet these metrics, th this law will be uh, repealed. Yeah. Um, now that invites a lot of cheating and a lot of, you know, okay, let's, let's, uh, you know, to go back to the education thing, let's teach to the <laughs> test. To make sure that we that we hit the metrics we want, so there's got to be some governance in there for that. But yeah, I, I think I think there's, it's it's too easy just to to pass a law and then have it be on the books for for generations for a hundred years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, looking at you, Federal Reserve Act. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, 
let let everyone know where they can find you, uh, where they can donate a few hundred bucks or uh, what whatever they got. You know, I know things are tight for everybody, but we need all the help that we can get. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, my campaign website's at www.adambeller.org. All right. And then on Twitter, I run the, the Davis County uh, Libertarian Party's uh, Twitter account. And so I can, you know, yeah, you can reach me, you can reach me there. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think those are, yeah, those are it. So there's his website right there. I'll make sure and put it in the episode description. And uh, for anyone else, um, thank you so much for making it this point in the uh, the live stream. We'll definitely get Adam back on. I always love having him on. Uh, definitely a, a good friend. And uh, it's if you get a chance, go over, donate a few bucks to him, and. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm running as well. Unfortunately, don't have a website up yet. Um, but there are several places that you can find to donate. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jacob4Utah. Um, you can uh, find links anywhere or just get a hold of me. Shoot me a message on here. Just comment somewhere. And uh, I'll make, make sure uh, you can donate to... Uh, any of the 18 libertarians running across the state of Utah this year. Um, it's time Utah had a change. And, uh, you know, the Republicans have had their chance. They've done some good things, but they've also done a lot of bad. And, uh, you know, we, they, they need to pass the reins over a little bit. So it doesn't mean that they have to give up everything all at once, but right. we are coming for you. So, yep. um, just, uh, so everyone knows I have another live stream tomorrow. I have doc Dixon on starting at 12 noon mountain standard time or 2 PM Eastern. That's going to be a lot of fun. He was, uh, a libertarian magician who was able to pull Penn and Teller. So That's awesome. yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to get him on and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I've got. Any parting words, Adam? Uh, no, I think just echoing what you said. I mean, I think the Libertarian Party is is staged to have um, to have you know a lot of success and a lot of growth this year. Um, I would encourage people uh, if you are interested in the values of of uh, freedom and individual liberties, uh, check us out. I think we we we've, we've made a lot of strides. I think the Libertarian Party is is in a really good place, and we're ready to to strike. And there's no better time to come you know, part of our movement and, and try to affect real change uh, to get, uh, to restore some of the, the liberties that we have lost. Yeah, and uh, now's the time to do it. You know, shit or get off the pot. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, well, cool, thanks, Adam. And uh, like I said, we'll get you on again. Once again, thanks to all the viewers, listener for all the, uh, the blind viewers listening on audio platforms. <laughs> And uh, until next time, stay free, my friends.